We're, we're continuing through Proverbs. So if you have a Bible, open up your Bible to Proverbs. Proverbs, we're in chapter 6. We've called the series Scandalous Wisdom. And the idea with the Scandalous Wisdom series is that as we uh, live our lives in line with what God tells us, this is biblical wisdom, following what God says, that that changes us. Our life becomes strange to those around us. It can be a, a scandal. It can be shocking to others. The scripture also is very clear that that same scandal that can trip people up is also grace giving. We become like a fruitful tree. We have, uh, we have something to give in strength and blessing to those around us. And so we want to call each other, encourage each other to continue to follow Jesus, even when it seems bizarre. As we move into chapter six this week, we're calling it dangers on the road, dangers on the road. There's this repeated theme in biblical wisdom, in the prophets, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs of staying on the path, staying on the road, walking with Jesus. It comes up in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. We have to stay on the road that God has marked out for us. This is what it means to follow him. It's a metaphor. It's a picture of if I stay on this road, I will be safe. If I you know, go off into the ditch, I'm going to be in trouble. And as we think about this, this text is kind of a strange text because it just throws out three different dangers that we might come upon. So it seems really random, but you can see some little poetic devices that, that hold it together. And what it is, is it's really three problems that we can fall into, three dangers, three obstacles on this road. Years ago, I was dating my wife before we got married, and she was down at Texas A&M, about 90 miles from where I was living in Temple, Texas. And so I spent a lot of time on the highway, driving back and forth. We'd spend the day together one time in particular, spent the day with her. We went out on a date and I was driving back late at night. It was 11 or 12 at night and I'm coming back to Temple on the old, you know, small highways. Somewhere between Rogers and Temple, Texas, I'm cresting the hill on the highway and I can see, ah, there's Temple in the distance. Like I'm almost there, right? Starting to relax a little bit, you know, been tense, trying to stay awake late at night driving on the highway. And as I'm driving, all of a sudden as I'm cresting that hill, I see this little person just standing up in the middle of the highway. It was the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen. My heart starts beating really fast, and of course I slam on the brakes, and I'm, you know, turning the car out of the way, and I'm squealing, and as I'm squealing and turning around this little person on the road, I realize it's just, it's a little raccoon that was standing up (laughs) in the middle of the road looking at me. I'd never seen this before, you know, you usually see him like scurrying around off to the side, and he just was like scurrying into the highway and just like stood up and looked at me. Looked like a little four-year-old kid. It was horrifying. And my heart was beating so fast. And fortunately, I'm a really well-trained driver. You know, I took, I took evasive action, right? Defensive driving. I, I was alert and, and awake and was able to avoid the danger. And I share that picture because there are three dangers, three characters that are going to pop up in the road as, as we're following God, as we're seeking to obey his voice. These three characters are different, um, but these are all characters that can, can pull us off the road of faithfulness to God. And these are dangers we need to watch for. Defensive driving, so to speak. We need to stay alert, being ready to slam on the brakes, to swerve, to avoid these problem people. And so as we see these different characters, we see not just, not just characters out there that we want to avoid, but these are actually characters that we can become. And so to kind of turn the metaphor a little bit, it's not just just an external threat. These are internal threats. We need to guard and and watch our own hearts as we're driving on the path, as we see these dangers on the road. So we'll start in chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 19 
says, my son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, you've given your pledge for a stranger, if you're snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When you will arise, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So I said these, these lists, uh, these characters seem kind of random, different characters that are bad behaviors or disobedience Uh, paths that we can fall into, ditches in the road, obstacles as we're driving on the path. And we're told to avoid these. He's going to give us specific ways to avoid these dangers. So this will be like your defensive driving training. Uh, We'll look at the text and say, what is the command? What are we to do when these obstacles pop up? And we're going to have three very distinct um, ways to avoid these obstacles. Let me pray and ask that God would help our own hearts to listen to his voice and to walk in wisdom. Let me pray. God, we pray that you would be with us. Um, This has been a tough text for me this week, and so I pray that as we look at it together, that you would help us to see by your spirit what is most important for us this morning. There are specific things that we need to hear from you, and so we pray that you would be here with us in a supernatural way to help us to listen to your word and to obey it. God, help us to, to listen with hope, because you're a God who has come to us in grace. You come to save us, to adopt us, and to make us your own. So help us to listen in light of your sovereign and kind grace to us. Help us to believe it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're driving on the road, danger on the road, this is the extended metaphor, walking on the path, driving on the road, uh, what are we going to do when the obstacles arise? And there are three different things that we can do, I think, as we look at the text. Three ways we can avoid, slam on the brakes, if you will, swerve, if you will. Uh, number one, it's humble yourself. Humble yourself. That's the first thing that he, that he hammers at. Humble yourself. This is a key Christian virtue, humility, that we would humble ourselves. The second one is work hard. Work hard. He's going to tell us to go watch some ants, and then we'll learn how to work hard. It's an important Christian virtue. And then finally, build harmony. Build harmony. That's the longest section at the end. He's going to talk about discord. He says this twice. Discord is a big problem. Um, Disunity, divisiveness. And so instead, we should build harmony together, unity together as God's people. So three things, humble yourself, work hard, and build harmony. First, we'll see that we are to humble ourselves. We see this in verses one through five. Humble yourself. He starts off again, chapter 6, with a particular economic situation. He says, my son, if you have put up security 
for your neighbor or have given your pledge for a stranger. Um, So specifically, we know that this generally means that you've secured a loan for someone else. Um, It's not going to be exactly the same in our culture. They had a different economic system, but this is saying, I'll pay back what someone else can't pay back, right? We don't know exactly what the motivation is. The motivation could either be, I think most simply, that this person was just trying to be nice, but because it says stranger, we think, a lot of commentators think, probably he was, it was more than trying to be nice. He was probably paid some fee to sign something and say, I'll, I'll pledge security for the stranger. But either way, what's the big idea that we know for sure? This was a stupid decision, okay? That's what we know absolutely. So we don't want to get caught in the weeds of like, well, in our, in our culture, this is how security and pledge works. And in that culture, no, it's just clearly the wrong decision. He did a stupid Stupid thing, right? Let's go on. He says, verse 2, you're snared in the words of your mouth. You said something you shouldn't have said. You agreed to something you should not have agreed to. Caught in the words of your mouth. Verse 3, then do this, my son. Save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. So you've agreed to something. Again, I think the specifics are less important. Have you ever agreed to something that you regretted later? That's what he's talking about. Have you said something stupid impulsively and then later you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm in trouble now. I've agreed to something I shouldn't have agreed to. I now belong to this person. I'm now snared by this person. This stranger, this outsider now has me. Go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Sleep and slumber, that's going to come up again in the second point, right? Don't rest. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. See this as a situation where someone's catching you and and they want to get you, right? So the big idea is you've said something or agreed to something that was a bad idea. You're in trouble. Maybe economically foolish, maybe morally foolish. You've committed yourself to something you should not have committed yourself to. What do you do? You beg. You do whatever you can to get out of it. You try to fix the situation. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. He uses this uh, phrase in verse 3, save yourself, my son. You've come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. This pleading urgently, I'm summarizing as humble yourself. Humble yourself. The, The word in Hebrew can actually mean let yourself be trampled upon. Okay? There are different ways that we describe humility, placing yourself low, right? Basically, every week where we come before God and worship him and say, God, you are great and we are small, what we're doing is we're humbling ourselves before God. We're, we're kneeling, even if it's not with our legs, we're bowing down before God and saying, God, you're above me. And so this is the kind of image that you have here. It's good to humble ourselves before God as a regular discipline in our life. We call this worship, exalting God, saying, God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your salvation. I can't do it on my own. That's humility. But sometimes we need to do this with other people, right? I need your help, other person, or I've made a stupid commitment, other person. I said something I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry. Will you please release me from this debt? Will you please release me from the stupid commitment I made. Will you please release me from whatever this arrangement is? And we have to humble ourselves. And again, literally in the text, it's lay down so that you might be trampled upon. I grabbed a picture here of someone getting a massage by having their back walked on. Anybody ever done that before? 
I have a friend that used to have his kids walk on his back all the time to pop his, and I think once they got adult size, that, that didn't work anymore. It got too, too much. Um, but that's, that's the image of humility. You're laying down, you're letting someone trample on you. That's literally what it's saying in the Hebrew. Are you willing to admit when you've done the wrong thing? Are we willing to say, man, I've been stupid. This was, I shouldn't have done this. To admit and ask for help. It's just a fundamental part of our spiritual growth. If you're driving on the path, trying to follow God, you go off into the ditch and you have a problem, what do you need to do? Admit you have a problem, right? That's the beginning of addiction recovery. Do you have a problem or not? Is this working for you or not? You have to admit the problem, humble yourself, and ask for help. Many times we're asking for other people's help in the community of faith, but all the time we're asking for God's help. We're always asking for God's help. God, will you help me? And so think about your own life. What are some bad decisions, bad relationships, bad financial commitments that you've made? It's really important that we admit it. We don't try to hide it and pretend that we don't have a problem. Uh, One of the principles of spiritual growth is that when we hide our problems, they get worse. But when we confess them, then we find healing. And so we quote this all the time. James 5, 1 John 1 talks about confessing our sin, admitting our problem, humbling ourselves. James 5, we're humbling ourselves before other people. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other that you may be healed, right? That's what it means to join a group, to walk in discipleship with other people, to say, hey, will you pray for me? I'm struggling. I need help. I'm trying to obey Jesus. This is what the Word says. I'm struggling. You admit your need of help. You humble yourself before other people. That's part of the spiritual life. 1 John 1 makes that part of our relationship with God himself. We confess our sins to God instead of lying about them, and he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the ultimate promise for what happens when we humble ourselves spiritually before God. Have you made that ultimate step of humbling yourself? God, I need you. That is the root of wisdom biblically, the fear of the Lord, placing God above us. God is ultimate. God is glorious. I mean, that's the center of what humbling ourselves looks like. But again, it's, it's both a relationship with God and with people. It's going to flesh itself out in how we worship God. It's going to flesh itself out in how we relate to other people. Are you humble before other people? Easily admitting your struggles. Uh, When it comes to financial issues, one of the great books that we've read together as we've done ministry with Natalie uh, down in Guatemala and other churches down there is a book called Helping Without Hurting. Another version of it is When Helping Hurts. Uh, This book talks about how to help people in a non-arrogant way as Christians, right? When I come and help you or when you help me, it's important that we remember that we're still humble before God. So maybe I have something to offer you, but you know what? Even if I'm helping you, you have something to offer me. And so there's a humility that comes even when Christians are helping somebody else. Even when we're in the, the posture of like, I, I have the something to give to you, right? We might go to a country that's very poor and think, I have a lot to give, but you know what? Those people are made in the image of God and I have something to learn from them as well. And so the book helps us to walk through that. How do we help people without damaging them by thinking that we're somehow a savior that doesn't need help ourselves? What does that look like in your life to help others in a humble way? Ultimately, as we look to Jesus, 
as we look to him as our ultimate security, that's what enables us to help others in a non-arrogant way. So Hebrews 7 says, Jesus is the surety, the pledge, the guarantor of a better covenant. Former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death, right? All the other priests, let's, let's translate this, all the other helpers die. I might be able to help you for a little while, but then I'm going to die. Someone else might be able to help you for a little while, but they're going to die. Jesus never dies. By the power of an indestructible life, Jesus continues forever. It says in Hebrews 7, he holds his priesthood permanently. His people helping never stops. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. And so as we humble ourselves when we've made a mistake, we also want to humble ourselves when we're helping others who've made a mistake because only Jesus can help us every day, all the time, forever. So both his grace to us helps us to help others humbly and to admit when we've messed up. Man, I blew it. I made this agreement I shouldn't have made. I need to get out of it. And we we can plead and ask others for help. We humble ourselves before God. The next thing that we see is we should work hard. He tells us to look at the ants. Work hard. Chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So we've had these repeated women of virtue and women of folly that have appeared throughout Proverbs. Here's one more woman, the ant. So the ant is a female noun in Hebrew. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. What does that mean? She, she's working. She's doing what she can to prepare for the next thing. She's saving up. She's preparing. She's producing. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? Let, let's slow down for a minute. What, what does sluggard mean? Anybody have you ever heard that? We don't use that in our everyday language, right? Lazy, right? It means someone who's lazy. Someone who's always going to opt for, for rest, even when they need to be working, right? The healthy life, we work and rest, right? Biblically, we have the six days of work, one day of rest rhythm. Uh, God turns out the lights at night. We're supposed to rest at night and then work during the day. There's some general patterns we're built for, right? of work and rest. The sluggard is one who rests even when you're supposed to be working. That's what the sluggard is. Other translations might say the slacker. Have you ever heard that term? That's maybe a little more modern term. The slacker, the sluggard, the lazy person. And he says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard, O slacker? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, right? So the sluggard, the lazy person is always saying, I just, I just need a little more rest. I just need a little more rest. I just need a little more rest. And then what happens? Verse 11, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Uh, I got a picture of an, up, an upsetting uh, stick up taking place here. Got a, got a robber, got a bandit saying, put up your hands, give me all your money. Uh, he's got a mask. This would be a robber. This would be an armed man, a bandit stealing from you. And so what the poetry is saying here is that when we're constantly obsessed with rest and we're not doing the work that we need to do, what's going to happen? Poverty is going to come upon us like a bandit. And to extend the metaphor a little bit, what happens is those who are lazy are always blaming the poverty on somebody else, right? It's like a bandit just came and took all my money. 
when it was actually my own laziness. So I need to be very careful about this because there, is, there are real bandits in the world, right? There are real victims. Victims exist. So this is not design, denying the category of victims. This is saying that if you're lazy, you have a victim mentality and you're always saying it's somebody else's fault. And, and the scriptures, the Proverbs specifically call us to hard work. We see this going all the way back into Genesis. We were made for work. Work is a blessing. Work is good. It's part of our calling. Do we recognize that? When sin came in and our work was cursed, that was a curse layered on top of a blessing. The work is a blessing. We're made for work. People should work. Do you work? Even if financially you don't need to work anymore, you should do some kind of work, right? Even as you physically slow down, you need to do what you can do. You might not be able to work as much as you used to work, but it's still good to work. You, you should do something. You should schedule some things in your day. You should make some plans and get things done because God has designed us to work. And when we work, when we create, when we produce, we're showing the world what God is like. We're giving a picture of God's character. We're imaging the creator. Work is a blessing. Is there a curse that goes along with it? Yeah, but there's a curse on everything. <laughs> Everything's broken, right? And so we need Jesus' help. We need God's kindness to help us. We pray as we work. We struggle. We have stress. We have difficulty. And God meets us in that to help us to work faithfully. And so the opposite of that is the slugger, the slacker, who will refuse to work hard, who will not work at all. So two applications for this, okay? If you want to work hard and I want to work hard, two applications. Number one, start with nature, I don't want to miss that, right? The Proverbs continually calls us back to nature. We have a lot to learn, and this goes back to us being humble, right? We have a lot to learn from the animals. We have a lot to learn from nature. He says, look at the ants. If you're struggling with working hard, look at the ants, how they delight in their work. We're made for work, and it's a good and beautiful thing. And throughout Scripture, we're told that we can see God's intentions and his plans in nature. That as we look at the heavens, we see the glory of God. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, night after night, they're pouring forth speech. They're telling us how great God is. Romans chapter 1 says that as well. When we're rebelling against God, we're rebelling against something that we clearly see in nature and creation. We look out at nature, we know God is there. And if we're not following God and what we see revealed in nature, it's because we're rebelling against what we see. Now, Calvin is helpful. Calvin says that the scripture is like glasses so we can properly read nature. So we can look at nature and maybe disagree over what we see. We can fight over the specifics. Calvin says, well, put on, put on the glasses of the word. Special revelation, specific revelation. And then we can read the general revelation, the creational revelation. So God's talking to us all the time from nature with ants, with cows, with grass, with sun, with rain or lack of rain, right? There are things we're learning all the time in nature, about who God is, his power, his glory, his divine nature. But we don't always understand it rightly. And when we put on the glasses of the scripture, it's clarified for us. God is absolutely holy. We are not. God is also gracious. And he sends a savior to us in Jesus Christ. And he redeems us. And he resets us so that we can work hard and honor him. And that brings us to the second application, which is just to work hard, Right? But to work hard in this way, Colossians 3 says, bond servants, those of you who are in a long-term contract that you wish you could get out of, but you can't, I think the, the closest thing to a bond servant in our modern society would be someone in the army, 
Um, someone who's signed over their life for several years to someone. So you're absolutely committed. People can call you in the middle of the night. Um, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. But don't do it this way, not by way of eye service. You're not doing it just to be seen, right? You're not doing it to be seen. It says don't do it as a people pleaser. Well, then how else should we do it, right? Because often that's how we're trained in work. We work so that we can get the accolades and be told, well done, and get more money, right? Isn't that how we're supposed to work? If we know Jesus, we work in a different way. We work for his glory. We work because we know he worked for us. So he says, do it instead, working hard with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. It's that theme again of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This awe, this amazement. Is your mind blown by God? by his holiness and by his kindness to you in Christ. Do this with the fear of the Lord, sincerity of heart. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, don't raise your hands, but just think about this. How many of you have a terrible boss? Especially if you work here at the church, please don't raise your hand. (laughs) How many of you have a terrible boss? And so you might think, well, I can't work hard because this boss is abusing me, or I can't work hard because this boss doesn't appreciate me, or I can't work hard because we have unfair requirements. No, it says here that we can work hard for Jesus, even in a crummy job. Now, Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 7, if you can get out of your crummy job and get a better job, go for it, okay? But don't use it as an excuse to not obey Jesus. The Scripture says this repeatedly. We can thrive, we can be faithful to Jesus in bad jobs. Not just bad jobs, boring jobs. Jobs that feel like they don't mean anything. The scripture here says, no, your boring job can actually glorify God. There's something eternal and amazing and glorious happening in your little day-to-day job. Isn't that hard to believe? But because of Jesus... Our minds can be changed, and we can believe that. We can begin to work for him. Know that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward because you're serving the Lord Christ. We're working hard like the ant because we're properly motivated from the inside. God has programmed the ant to work hard and glorify him, and we're given this option to either rebel against him and work for ourselves or to see that Jesus has given himself for us. So then we work for him. We work to bring him glory, no matter what our job is. And we're imaging our creator. Okay, this last section is build harmony. Build harmony. This is the final character that we want to avoid. And as I said, the proverb sets it up as like, there's this character over here. You don't want to get in trouble with that character. But it's more than that. It's don't become that character, right? You're watching your own heart. You're watching your own character. So the first one is the someone that makes the rash decision, the bad commitment. Humble yourself. Get out of that commitment. The second one was the sluggard, the slacker. The person's resting when they shouldn't be. He's like, don't be that character either. You want to work hard. This third one talks about the person that's sowing discord, divisiveness. That phrase, don't sow discord, appears twice. It's a long section. Two different poetic devices are used here. Um, so this ancient Hebrew poetry, it doesn't immediately... Uh, makes sense to us, right? Um, but, but this is particular poetic forms they're using. He's using some kind of uh, painting a picture poetic devices in the first few verses. And then he uses this really strange form that appears in Proverbs and also appears in the prophets where he says, 
these are six bad things. Actually, there's seven. Uh, there's other places where you're like, there are three really crazy things. Well, really, there are four. You know, it's kind of like, it's almost like a song style that they would use in ancient Hebrew poetry. Uh, and a lot of commentators say, well, what they're trying to say is uh, you could keep adding to this list, right? But here's the list, and notice these bad things. So it's just a poetic device. I don't think the number is that important. It's just a list of things. Uh, so he starts off in verse 12. He says, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. Starts with how he talks. He winks with his eyes. He signals with his feet. He points with his finger. With perverted heart, perverted heart, he devises evil. What is he doing? Continually sowing discord. So you see what we've done here? We've, we've kind of worked through the body parts, and he's painted a picture of the person who's not building harmony but sowing discord. Not developing unity and harmony, but instead being divisive, tearing people apart. And he's like, every part of this person is committed to this sin of disunity and discord. So he paints a picture moving through the body parts. And then he moves on to this other poetic device, the six, no, there are seven. Okay, so verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that would be proud. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So he added the layer of the six, no seven, but he still had the working through the body parts. Do you see that? He's saying there's this unity, this unity of the body who sins, sowing discord, tearing apart the body. There's a contrast here. There's, there's poetry that's taking place here. So twice he says that the problem here, the sin is sowing discord, creating disunity. Um, there's this song that Chris has been leading us in lately, a new song he wrote based on Colossians 3, In This Kingdom. It says, your rule over us is our freedom. And he's talking about Colossians 3. This, this theme of unity works all the way through Colossians chapter 3. And one of the refrains is, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Teach us to be unified. And as he works through the song, he's reflecting really just the text of Colossians chapter 3 and the rest of Colossians. Colossians says, what, what actually binds us together? What is it that binds us together in unity and harmony? What helps us to, to row in the same direction? It's that we're all united in being sinners that are saved by Jesus' grace. That grace is what unites us, whether rich or poor, whether smart or dumb. You know, what, no matter where we come from, all the different tongues and tribes and languages and cultures, we're all different, right? But we're united because we're sinners that struggle, and yet Jesus has saved us. And that binds us together as one. That makes us family. We're in the same family and the people of God. A one body with many parts. I grabbed a picture of one of da Vinci's ancient anatomical drawings. Uh, he was famous for really uh, exceeding the normal understanding of the anatomy in the body at the time, uh, showing the beauty of the human body. This is a theme that comes back again and again in the writings of the Apostle Paul that Christ's body is us. We are his body. He's the head. We're the hands and feet. We are his acting presence in the world. And so this text, there's all this poetry about the sinful body, the lying mouth, the deceptive hands, the feet that run to evil. And he's saying we should be different. 
We should be building harmony. We should be one body that's, that's focusing on healthy, good, united, harmonious behavior, honoring Jesus, doing what Jesus would do, being the hands and feet of Jesus. How do we get there? We get there by, by looking to Jesus, by seeing who he is, by recognizing what he's done for us, not comparing ourselves one to another, right? One of the most beautiful ways to build harmony is to actually use your gift for God's glory. To not say, oh, I wish I had that gift, or I wish I had that gift over there. Like, God's made me this way, but I really wish God had made me that way, and I'm mad at God about that. Instead, we look at God and say, God, I trust you. I know that you love me. I'm sure that you love me because you sent Jesus for me. And because I know that you love me, I'm going to receive the gifts you've given me as a gift. I'm, I'm unique. I'm not like my neighbor or my spouse. I'm not like these other people. And I'm going to use the gifts that you've given me for your glory. I'm going to move forward in unity, honoring the head, Jesus. And when all the body parts do that, we've got unity. We're building harmony together. A, a second application of this is not just using our gifts, but seeing other gifts and saying, Man, that's awesome that God gave you that gift. Thank you for using your gift. I want to say thank you to the body of Christ here at Grace Bible Church for using your gifts. You've all used your gifts in many different ways to honor Jesus, to build up the saints, to tell unbelievers about who God is, to build up believers and to help them to hope and be encouraged by him. Served in different ministries at this church in our nursery and our children's ministry, our Afghan resettlement team has done amazing work helping this Afghan refugee family find peace and build a new life here. Trips that we've done to, to join with Natalie in Guatemala, the, the trips to the Middle East to help the Bowers ministry there. There's all kinds of ways that you've used your gifts faithfully to honor Jesus, giving financially, encouraging one another. There's ministry gifts that you've used that are not on official teams at Grace Bible Church, where you're just being a faithful neighbor, a faithful witness. You're, you're being a light for Jesus in your workplace. Thank you for using your gifts. As you do that, you're building harmony in the body of Christ. And what I want to encourage you to do as a second step is to see others using their gifts and pat them on the back and say, thank you for using your gifts. Encourage them. Say, I, I see you. I see what you're doing. Thank you for honoring Jesus with your gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this one body with many parts. Romans 12 talks again about the one body with many parts. And I just want to center before we finish up on Romans 12. Because in Romans 12, before it launches into the diversity of gifts that we have and how we can show compassion and harmony and patience, how we can rejoice with those who rejoice, be happy for people, and have uh, weeping with those who are weeping, right? Show sadness and empathy with people. All of that is part of building harmony but it all starts in Romans 12 with because of God's mercy. The longest extensive explanation of the grace of God on the cross is Romans 1 through 11. It's long, it's detailed. Paul's doing some of his best work, a lot of scholars think there in Romans 1 through 11. And then in Romans 12, he's like, hey, okay, because of all this, because of what God has done for you in Christ, because of God's grace to you, because of that, Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Be a part of Christ's body. Give yourself. Use your gifts. Praise one another. Encourage one another. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be the body and build harmony in God's people. Well, we'll wrap up here 
uh, as I said at the beginning, kind of the analogy that I was trying to tie all this together, the, the different characters, the different hazards, the different dangers on the road. Uh, we have been driving on the highway a lot to go visit our new grandbaby, but also just the last couple of days driving on the highway and been talking about how, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they keep moving the exits on the highway. Anybody notice that? Um, it can be a little confusing. The older I get, the more I'm confused by that. Uh, I think we've lived here 16 years now, and I feel like they've moved the exits on Highway 190 now, I-14. They've moved the exits, I think, three times in 16 years, right? And so I used to exit on this side of the store. Now I exit on this side of the store, and they keep moving them, and they're in different places. That's a, that's a real danger on the highway, right? It can be hard to know where to get off the highway, hard to know where to get on the highway, and I was thinking about this with the text because this text covers a lot of ground. There's all kinds of stuff here, right? There's, there's all kinds of other dangers that we need to avoid that we're going to see in the rest of Proverbs. We're going to come back again and again. Uh, good fun next week. We're going to have more issues with sexual immorality, right? There's all kinds of stuff. We're like, watch out for that. There's a pothole here. There's a raccoon over there, right? There's a moved exit on this side. Watch out for that. Watch out for that. And so I just want to bring us back at the end to say, what's the way that we get onto the highway? What's the entrance to the highway? What's the gate? What's the door? And Jesus says this repeatedly, that he is the door. He's the good shepherd. And he's not just the good shepherd that brings us into his pen, but he's the door itself. He says, the only way you're getting in is through me. And so you might, you might feel great shame at this point. Man, I've, I've made all the mistakes. I've already wrecked my car 10 times on the highway of, of walking with God. I've been in the ditch. I've made all kinds of errors. Jesus says, he's the door. He's the good shepherd. He will open to you. Come to him and you will find peace. He says, if you believe in him, if you trust him, he's got you in his hand and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us and you invite us to follow you. Thank you for your kindness and your grace. As we see all these obstacles on the road, these dangers on the highway of life, help us to see that you're the one that will make us safe. You're the one that will guide us. You are the one that will lead us so that we can continue on this path. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.